the funnier one is we had our mobile developer. Uh, I had listed him as um, mobile development, and he's like, "Can you not list me as mobile developer or mobile development?" I'm like, "Okay, what do you want to be listed as?" He goes, "Developer, just a normal developer, nothing special." So that's what he got listed as. <laughs> He's on the website as a developer, just a normal developer, nothing special. You're listening to PHP Ugly episode 143. I'm somewhat of a host, John Congdon. With me is Eric Van Johnson. Bob Dylan is the OG mumble rapper. And Tom Rideout. Hey! I am uh, I am dressed for bed. If you're watching live, I, I got my jammies on, ready to go. I noticed that looking exceptionally exceptionally cozy what's the uh, what's the occasion I mean, stand up for a second because everybody's got to get the full picture I, I i got the uh i got the look at that head to toe red and black flannel if you're just listening to the uh just <laughs> listening to the podcast this is why you want to tune in to the feed because there are visual gags <laughs> i will make a fool of myself for you no the story behind it is I after work today I I go out and my kids are in their jammies they've been in their jammies all day because it was a rainy day and my wife just stayed home and the kids wanted to so she's like sure go for it so uh, when I got got out of work I ran in and, and threw these on to nice. participate in jammy day with them oh I just thought I would thought I would keep it on for the show and make a good story out of it. That's, that's real sweet of you. Yeah. So happy you did that. My life feels more complete now that I've seen you in jammies. Yeah, like you've never seen it before. Come on. How is everybody's week? Uh, exhausting. I feel, like, it's, I feel like we just talked like last Thursday. Yeah. It was, yeah. Weeks are flying by. I, I can't even, maybe because we have a deadline looming, but weeks are just flying by right now. I yeah, had Deadlines a, are no fun. I had reports this week, which is my least favorite thing to ever work on. And yeah. this was a... Study work, though. Well, this was a, a nested report where it was a summary of collected data, and then you could click on a an expanded view based off of the day or week or month or service type or system type. And so, you know, as soon as I got the report working... I go to click the expanded view and see what's in the days, and they don't match at all. So I've got... That's always fun. It's, it says, this week we've got, you know, 25 sales, and I go look at it, and it says we have 110. <laughs> and that's, that's always super pleasant. That doesn't work out too well. Do you guys do a lot of reports on your projects? Yes. Yeah, for the one, especially for the one client, we, we just... Uh, a ton of reports... It's it's easily my least favorite thing to ever work on, except for anything to do with the file system. Why reports are easy? You're just pulling data out and manipulating data. I hate I hate dealing with input data input and validation and oh god. It just depends on how that. the data is stored when you're pulling the reports, though, because the data inconsistency or you know over here you pull it one way and over there you pull it a different way and you end up with with mismatched reports. It is a pain in the butt. Yeah, and, and we have to make everything uh, time zone compliant as well. So I'm I'm doing oh. aggregates in MySQL where I have to convert the time zone of the created at record before I aggregate the data, which it turns out oh, isn't that pain. difficult, but I have to do it in 50 different ways depending on how they've chosen their dropdowns. 
can you not change the input time zone first versus checking within my my scroll? I can, but the way that I'm aggregating things, I have to group it by week. Mm-hmm. And so I have to do date formatting within my SQL to make it formatted into a week shape so that when I do a grouping function on it, everything stays together and the counts stay accurate. Gotcha. And I did, I just finished it today. I just got it actually working today and then cut all my code out of my controller and put it in a repository pattern so that it was consolidated in one place and could get reused and stuff. And it's, but it was, I mean, it's a four day project. It, it started Monday. Not a, not a fan. What have you guys been up to this week? My day started off horrible, like 6.30 a.m., just getting paged <laughs> left and right. And it's, it's, Man, he comes into the office, and he has, uh, I think it's pager duty yeah. that, that gives off this, um, this uh, what's it Morse called? Code. Morse code. Well, <laughs> it was just like... like the, S- the SOS. Like. <laughs> I heard him walking in the door. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Is it like a Nagios alerts or what? Pager duty. <laughs> yeah, it's pager. So yeah, so, yeah. so Nagios, uh, Nagios is just one thing that feeds into pager duty. There's a bunch of other pieces, <laughs> but there was a there was a big code release last night and of of a new feature, <clears throat> and of course, people start using it this morning, and one of the the queries just wasn't optimized right, and just tore took down systems. It was a pain in the butt. How was it? Are, are you able to share how it wasn't optimized? Like what? Cause I heard you guys fixed it, right? Y- yeah. So basically ors in SQL statements are, can kill a query. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this was a, basically a duplicate check. So it's, it's a contact importer. You're bringing in a Excel file or a CSV file. And, you're looking to see if the contact already exists based on email address or phone number. And the person who wrote it, wrote it with an or, which was very slow, especially when somebody has millions of contact, changing it to two single queries of a, Hey, does this email address exist or does this? And then in a separate one, does this phone exist? Makes it a, you know, sub second query twice. So it sucks you're doing two queries, but you're not doing an OR. Huh. You should be able to put parentheses around the the two OR, way, or clauses, and it should mm-hmm. do the same thing. I mean, we we had that, but it's... I say it's still an still OR, though. Performing. Yeah, it was, it why was would, horrible. Why would that help the performance, Thomas? Um, the way that MySQL breaks down queries is very literal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it decides early on in the execution if it needs to have a temporary table and export results to a temporary table. Mm. So there must have been a conflict somewhere else where it decided it needed a temp table and it was doubling your data or doubling the actions. Yeah, I mean, it was joining four tables together, looking yeah. in one for an email, looking in another one for a phone number. It just wasn't good. And and changing it to two separate queries made it much faster. Well, I'd, so I'd be willing to take it, a look at the the query for you and see if I could figure out what went wrong. No, it's slow enough as it is. I don't think you need your help. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I love, I still love raw SQL. I still spend so much of my day just in the CLI typing out reports for myself, Mm -hmm. figuring out, figuring out what the data should look like based off of the data that's already there. And I'm, I just, I don't, I don't know how people can use the GUI tools for MySQL. I don't know how that's a statement. How 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 can you? I mean, I I, I applaud you for for you know having the command line, you know, kung fu to go into MySQL, but yeah, the the GUIs, especially for something like that where you're where you're just quickly navigating through rows and rows of data. Why why wouldn't you use a GUI? I mean, Thomas, I used to be the same way. I, I love the CLI, but once I started using the GUI just for simple uh, table traversal and changing rows quickly, the GUI was a lot nicer. And I still have access to a SQL console and can run custom queries. Yeah. I don't ever want to, like, change data without a command, though. I don't want to be editing a box where there's a a value. Hmm. Yeah, I understand. I've been using Table Plus more and more um, for a couple of reasons. Actually, I have a, I have a question for you on that. Uh, in SQL Pro, when there's a foreign key, which is another reason I like the GUI, by the way, Thomas, I was able to click on a little arrow next to it and then go to the the table reference. Mm-hmm. Can you do that in Table Plus? I want to say yes, but I I don't know right now. Uh, not without looking oh. at it. But I feel like I feel like I've done that. Let's check but, that out. But one of the things I like about Table Plus, uh, and one of the reasons why I'm starting to use it more and more, besides the fact that it has, it's a client for more than MySQL, um, is that it allows you to make changes to the database, and it it does the whole. It it doesn't commit them. It doesn't commit the changes until you actually press the commit button. I mean, you don't have to set it up that way. I, that's how that's how mine's set up, and I think that's how it's set up by default, where you can like delete rows or change data, and it just kind of gives you a, a color indicator that, hey, this table's changed, this, this row's changed, and it lets you look at the data for a second, and then, you know, as long as you're happy with it, you can actually commit those changes. I really like that feature, especially when, when you're like deleting rows. It's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, no, that's too much. I, I didn't want to delete all those rows. And I need to get in there. I know I started setting it up yesterday. I just haven't committed to using it. And it's probably one of those things, just like an IDE, where you have to commit to using it for a week or two to get used to it. Yeah, one of the things... uh John and I just learned this week about Table Plus. I'd seen it before, but I didn't really explore it. We have a lot of developers that that work with us, and uh, we're all sharing kind of the same access to the same databases. And uh, Table Plus actually allows us to export groups of databases, and actually, you can export individual databases too. But you not so, databases, but the connection. The- uh, connection credentials. Great. I'm sorry. Yeah, can the whole connection configuration. So we bring up a new client who has you know a couple of database connections, you know, dev, staging, production, and uh, somebody configures it in Table Plus. They can actually export it and then share that with other developers. It just saves time. I know it's probably not the most secure thing, but <laughs> I'm sure it could be worse. Yeah, it sounds sounds similar to Postman's groups. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Similar. And that, that's Except it. with Postman, if you if you have an account, you can actually 
sync it up to their servers where you're not going to want to do that with your database credentials. Yeah. I don't so know you, if I, you have to X. I don't know if I can yeah. anymore. Every time I launch Postman, it gives me an error about being deprecated. We got to get up to the right version. We, we just went through this. Um, because we have a team account on Postman, the 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 way they're handling teams now in Postman requires everybody to be on at least a minimum version of like Postman seven, I seven, think it was, which I still couldn't find. I I'm on six point seven or whatever. You have you have to update I, in the app. I I tried. I went through all those steps. Really? It keeps telling me I'm up to date. Yep. Oh, you're the you're the only one having that problem. That's weird. I shared a I shared the screenshot in Slack recently. Yeah. It's almost as if I saw oh. that and brought it up on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, nice, nice for you to be uh, obvious about it. Good job. Well, you know, doing my job. <laughs> I'm making sure I point out that I'm doing my job. I've been dealing with uh, Laravel policies and gates uh, last few days, and I don't know how I managed to avoid doing deeper dives into policies and gates before. Uh, I just seem to have avoided it. I guess the stuff I was doing was pretty simplistic or something, but man. What is it? Because I've never gotten into that stuff. Uh, it just allows you to define authorization on a more granular level. So essentially what you do is you actually define policies for your models and then like for every action in a model, the, the whole CRUD you know, cred system of a model, you can, you can define who has access to do that. So uh, the, the big example of, uh, you can view all posts, but you can only edit your own post. That's the sort of thing that you would put, you could put into a policy where you say, Hey, to, to edit, to update the post model, the user ID has to match the author ID sort of thing. So and that was one of the the big announcements of five eight right in Laravel was a little more auto discovery yeah yeah auto discovery of uh of policies yeah that's a big one Laricon Laricon uh, online I, I Thomas did you uh, catch Laricon online no you know what I didn't um is the whole thing over now yeah well, it was just a one day it, yeah it was just a one day it, it was one day and uh. I, I, I gotta say I, I can't complain about it. It was it was like a twenty five dollar ticket. Um I think I, I don't actually remember now. Uh we actually had a viewing party here at the office, so at I, I came into the office at six thirty because the online conference started at nine AM East Eastern time. So EST. So I figured I'd come in a little early, get things set I up. I did hear the whining about that. There was a lot of whining about that. You know, it's one of those things that you're you're just not going to please everybody. Their their goal was to cover as much as you know the the Europe and U.S. as they could, and that that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make sure that they started at a time where people in Europe could still watch, and then you know the people on the West Coast. Unfortunately, it was an early morning, so. The the morning before, um, a lot of people were like, "Yeah, I'll, I'm going to come in, you know, maybe eight, you know, but I'm not going to I'm not going to be there for the start." So I come rolling in around six thirty because I went and got some donuts and got some coffee, so you know our coffee machine didn't have to work overtime and just some general housekeeping things. And I've already got like two developers in the in the you know, developers den watching 
watching the conference. I'm like, holy crap, you guys are already here? It was good. Some good talks. I mean, the, the, and the reason they were in is uh, one of the first talks was Freck talking about event sourcing. And it oh, was really? it was yeah, a game changer. Really? I'm going to want to hear more about that tomorrow. Yeah. Or, or we can talk about it now. Because, you know, we're talking about no, things. No, we can. I meant, yeah. more, I meant more about specifically our project. Yeah. Well, and, and that was it. You know, we had, we had already started down the path path of proof uh for the project we're working on and the our, our project is broken into a couple of services right now uh accounting is the is one that that event sourcing is kind of mandatory right and, and we're going to use it so that's the one that's gone down the path of proof um the other piece of the application you know, of course, we're starting to look at now, like, okay, we're going to use event sourcing here. And Frick's uh, implementation of event sourcing was a lot more simplistic than our implementation of proof. So he was using event sauce uh, f- the, for uh, Frick's uh, implementation. And again, we were using another um, implementation called proof uh, for the project. So anyways, the... Uh, where, you know, we had worked with the team for several weeks to kind of get everybody's head around the concept of event sourcing. Um, and, you know, maybe that, that history helped with this. But I, we still had developers who just, you know, quote unquote, weren't getting it. Like, the, it just wasn't sinking in. And for whatever reason, whatever Freck said in his presentation, his implementation of event source... Uh, they got it. It made a lot of sense. So essentially what we did is, um, I mean, this just happened on yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, it was yesterday. Was it yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, so this just happened yesterday. So yeah, I mean, we're still, you know, filling things out, but what, what we came away with is I, I kind of put it on the developer who's working on the accounting system to say, okay, Take a look at this other implementation. See if it meets our requirements. Because already, you know, he already identified. Hey, I'm not sure how you do snapshots with this. I, you know, we'd gone down the the event sauce path before. It didn't have snapshots. He didn't talk about snapshots. Everybody says roll your own snapshots. So he's actually because he has the most experience with it. He's kind of taking another look at event sauce and figuring out. Okay. Do we want to pivot on what we're doing with the accounting system and, and go over to event sauce? Or do we stay with uh, proof on the accounting system? And then, again, I'm kind of putting it on his shoulders to, to give me the feedback of, let's go ahead and just use event sauce for all the other less critical things that we want to event source because it's a simpler implementation or if he would rather just stick with a like for like, say, hey, we're already doing it this way for accounting. We're just going to do it this way across the board. So we're still kind think, of in that evaluation stage. Yeah, I, I think the consultant we hired to, to talk to us about event sourcing brought that specific thing up about event sauce. It didn't have snapshots and proof did. Yeah. And even with Frick's... Uh, demo and, and we were watching you know i was watching it along with them you know, the question came up of playback and you know frick 
contends, and you you hear this, you know, from other people as well, is playback isn't that big of a deal. It doesn't, you know, memory is so cheap now, and compute, you know, systems are are, are so uh, strong that playing back events really doesn't have that big of an impact. But, you know, we start talking about our client, and our client's been in business for 15 years. It is going to be an impact, you know. We're talking about, you know, several events, you know, thousands and thousands of events a day. And, you know, we we just can't well, help but think, yeah, it will. It, we're going to hit you're a wall. Bring, you're, you're not playing back every event. You're playing back the events for that aggregate. So right. it's like I pull your your user record. Right, but, back but, but, just but that. if you if you've been if you've been a client if you've been a customer of our client for ten years, I mean that's that can be a lot of data. Yeah, so be, especially when you tr- you're trying to pull reports on all of those users. So, right. So, I, so and that's where snapshots come into play. And and again, it's not that snapshots aren't something you can do in event sauce. It's just event sauce doesn't have a a implementation within their framework. They just say, hey, just do your own version of snapshots. So we're we're looking into that. But I mean that was that was just the first talk. There were several really good talks throughout the day. Um there was even one on uh <laughs> I forget her name, but I, I really became a fan of hers at the last Laracon as well. But she did a talk on um blockchain. Bitcoin and blockchain and coding coding to blockchain uh, with Laravel. And again, this is something that we've had clients ask about, uh, you know, leveraging the blockchain and how they can leverage it. And You might have to send me that talk. It was really, yeah. really good. Samantha so Geis. Based, yes. based on Samantha, yes, Samantha, our, good one. Our, our client conversation on Tuesday where there was a bunch of talk around blockchain, was there any linkage there? With what we were talking about on our client meeting and this talk, so the, the issue, I, you know, the the issue still comes back to public records, right? Uh, yeah. You know, we we've talked. One of the implementations, our client actually has some very good use cases for blockchain because the business that they're in, because of what they're trying to do. They have good use cases of blockchain. One of the use cases they have is around this concept of evidence. I've talked about this in the past, where they want to be able to kind of seal evidence and and prove that evidence hasn't been tampered with. It's a good use of of the blockchain, but again, the the way blockchain works, it's like, well, we can't put all the record, all the information on the blockchain, so... We've talked about like hashing records and putting the hashes out there and that that sort of thing. Um, and it kind of it's kind of the same thing. It's it's like where this client does have good use cases for blockchain. They have a tendency to also want to go overboard and use blockchain for everything. And you're back to the same kind of scenario of well, do you want all your records out on the blockchain? Because I don't think you do. You don't want people seeing the records. You you have inadvertently led me to one of my favorite stories of the week. Yeah, uh, yeah it was announced this week that the digital signatures on PDFs yeah. are fundamentally broken. <laughs> okay. That, 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 so, that, 
you got there from talking about Laricon online the blockchain, huh? From this idea of signing something as as a proof of its non-changing attribute. Yeah. Um, so what what ended up happening was a uh, a group that created a website pdf-insecurity.org was able to produce a PDF of a refund they received from Amazon for one trillion dollars. <laughs> um, and this is important because these signed PDFs are mm. legally binding. These are real cryptographically – supposed to be cryptographically secure documents that have real legal weight to them. Mm-hmm. And them being broken is another example of why I don't feel comfortable at all getting into blockchain stuff. Because you're really meddling with technology and math that you don't understand, that you rely on someone else having been, you know, honest and correct. And it's terrifying to me that I could have a system that was supposed to be secure to the extent that it was a legally binding encryption. And then someone just says, oh, but I broke it here. (laughs) Yeah, fortunately that hasn't happened with blockchain yet, but... Well, there have been 51% attacks, though. I mean, there have been successful 51% attacks against all the major cryptocurrencies. Yeah, and John actually brought that up with this client that we're talking about blockchain on as well. That that was a good example. I was going to say, going back to, to Laricon, the I personally felt that Taylor continued to prove that he doesn't understand semantic version, versioning. <laughs> I, heard, I heard you mention this, but I don't know... Why? I don't know what happened. Did he just just go back a number? No, he he just the way he was talking about version numbers, like he brought up the semantic versioning and how he, he could change and not do five eight and make it six and five nine would be six dot one, but was fundamentally missing the part that the the major version number is when you have backward breaking changes. He made it seem like you could only get to a dot nine and then you had to go to six dot oh or something. He didn't really say that. I'm making that part up, but the the fundamental understanding of Semver just didn't seem to be there. He had he acted like adding a third digit into the version number was pointless. Oh god. <laughs> and it's like but there's a reason for each one of those numbers and if you follow semantic versioning which composer does be fine. right he went into com- into composer in his example of well if we went to 6.0 you know you're going to be changing your composer file this way versus that way i don't right. know i just yes, that's what you're supposed to do <laughs> it just didn't make sense it it I heard it. It made me chuckle. It frustrated me, so I shared it in Slack. You know, I mean, I, his his not understanding of Semver in general has dri- has driven me crazy since, like, I think the five three release, or since he announced the LTS project. Because we we've been doing this long enough that we've talked about wanting LTS for Laravel on the podcast, and mm-hmm. then we got it, and then it was summarily ignored. <laughs> And it was like, but okay. He, he, he did say there should be a new LTS version coming up. Well, it was because funny. It's how one, he, one every how two he, years. How he said it was funny. He goes, 
So that would make uh, 5.9 LTS. So, yeah, I guess 5.9 is going to be LTS. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. More thought needs to be put into LTS. It's not LTS just because it falls in that two-year two gap. <laughs> no, you just call it. Yeah, it's just, ah, this one's LTS. Uh, he also uh, touched on, it was funny because John and I kind of like looked at each other and chuckled. And, of course, he didn't get back to it. But, um, so Taylor obviously got, came online and was talking about, you know, all the new things in 5.8 that, you know, what's coming, what's coming in the new release of 5.8. <clears throat> and, uh, as he's, if you've ever watched Taylor do a presentation before, he just basically pulls up sublime, pulls up the routes web.php file and, you know, has uh, a bunch of examples in there that he starts to go through. So, you kind of see his folder structure and everything. And he brought up the fact that, you know, for some reason, like people don't like having their models in the root of the app folder. And a lot of people create this models directory. He goes, yep, I do that. We're going to circle back on that if I have time. And John and I just kind of like looked at each other and laughed. No, he says he doesn't, he doesn't like that. He thinks you're wrong for doing it. Yeah. And he, he but he never got back to that. Yeah, I, remember him I wish I wish he had gotten back to it because yeah, we we do. As a matter of fact, it's a practice. I feel so strongly about it. I've made it a practice of the company, and I I don't typically impose too many coding standards on developers that are outside the scope of what the standard coding standard is for whatever they're working on. But that's one of the ones that that I implement. Of hey, you. You create a models directory, please. I, I just don't. I, I don't understand the benefit from or, or from my why. understanding. It's it has to do with Active Record and how Active Record treats the models as the application. But there's nothing else in the app folder with logic except for the model, right? Oh, I mean, the I don't know. Did the route file get moved? Yeah, the route the route files in in its own folder now called routes. Uh, you know, controllers are in their own folder. Everything else is in its own folder except for these models that just kind of linger out there. I mean, I want I want him to make the announcement that it's just like he's taking a nap. Like he's not going to go hyper developer on Laravel for a year and just let it let it cool down. Hmm. You know, I, Symphony announced that there was a new feature added to to Twig. And it was like mm-hmm. the biggest thing in the last two years that Symphony has done. Well, I think he actually brought that up in his talk, and we've talked about it as well. I think Laravel is getting there as well. I mean the the changes between versions are getting less and less, you know, dramatic. It's just they're just kind of becoming outside of deprecating well, half of my code base. Well, well that, <laughs> that's when he he was talking about his versioning and like. He hasn't gone to a six because there hasn't been a sweeping change of the code base. <laughs> Except for that one pull request that didn't include documentation or a change log. <laughs> or discussion. Or anything. <laughs> yes. It took place over a period of five hours outside of public purview. <laughs> I See, I mean, he can say all he wants that things aren't changing, but the mailable interface appears to change backwards compatibility break every single version there's something crazy going on mm-hmm. um the the right now we're we're one week away from laravel 58 having been released mm-hmm. and it's on 583 so there there have been three patch fixes in one week 
Well, with, with this version, they may not be patches. They could be. <laughs> That's true. They brand could new be features. completely backwards compatible breaking. I mean, there was a there was a in five point three there was a fix for uh, the authentication middleware where he was calling next instead of the variable next. So if you were running five point eight point two and you had authentication in any way, then any middleware after your authentication was broken. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck me. That is major. Mm-hmm. That's just extraordinarily bad. And because next, all I believe all next does is increment the pointer to an array. So it was just skipping the rest of your middleware. Like, shit, that's super bad. <laughs> I'm glad you caught that. A week later, <laughs> that's one I, of those. It, it, something like that being included in the the framework should be unit tested at, with expected usage. You know. Yeah, you think that that's something caught. a unit unit test would have caught? Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty done with uh, Laravel and and all of its idiosyncrasies that appear to be judgment calls. So are are you are you stating on the podcast that you're uh, you're you're not Willingly going to do new Laravel projects, or I will just, do as I'm told. You're just you're just not. But I will be not a fan of Laravel anymore. I will be looking into Symphony and starting up some uh, I, I mean, demo I, projects for myself in Symphony. I, I I can't fault anybody with with that. I mean, Symphony seems like the next logical step to me. I I've been giving it a lot of thought as well. I I've, I've been tempted to gravitate back to cake php just to see yeah it's been a while since i've used that just to see where that's at and the implementation but then i start i start to say to myself i'm like self is that really the direction you want to go in and uh i've been i'll I'll tell you what the the problem with what diego dev is facing is that laravel has introduced a lot of technical debt as far as the knowledge of the not employees what's the correct word Contractors. contractors so what you're facing moving forward is either increasing that technical debt and becoming more and more reliant no. on laravel or I, I i don't i don't agree with where you're going with that because we, we didn't hire i mean yes the the developers that work with us are are very good at laravel because that's been our focus for the last couple of years but they're they're good developers if we pivoted to symphony tomorrow i mean there would be some ramp up time but i wouldn't i wouldn't i'm not even concerned about it the where our technical debt comes into play is the fact that you know we've sold clients on this and we've implemented it for clients and that's you know that's that's the thing that that concerns me moving forward with the whole it's a one man show it's taylor you know making decisions on a whim did we did we really do right by our clients by going in this direction? That's that's where, and, and I, I think keep, you did. I think you did right, but I think Taylor's not doing right by his user base. I, I, I agree with that, but by him not doing right means we didn't do right. I, I mean, just that's just kind of how it flows. I, I so I don't, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're we are where we are. Um, I still. I'm still a fan of frameworks. I'm still a fan of Laravel, but I, I do see the flaws. And it, it does, as a business owner and as somebody who is entrusted by other clients to make 
good business decisions for them, I am questioning the next time I recommend Laravel to another company. Just just because of that. I mean, end of day, it's code. End of day, you're if we had to freeze the framework where we are today and and continue to work with it. It would be no different than had we rolled rolled our own framework in, you know, had to live with that. So it's it's not the actual it's not the absolute worst. It's just I don't know. It's a concern. But yeah, there were more talks. The the talks for Lyricon Online went all day. Uh, it went from like six in the morning for us until about four in the afternoon, I think it was. And um yeah, there was some Adam Wevin did his whole Tailwind thing where he duplicated a site in Tailwind in, in like thirty minutes, and that was that was awesome. Um, but yeah. So what else have we got? I have a big announcement. Give it to what me. Is that? I'm not sure if you guys heard the news, but I am no longer the maintainer for Iron Q for Lur. Oh yeah, I heard you got fired. It was a little more cordial than that. <laughs> uh, so if you don't know, Matt Lance, friend of the show, is the the head guy or one of the head guys at the Laravel Collective, uh, a group which maintains abandoned Laravel code. <laughs> uh, and uh, he contacted me today and said, said, hey, are you still interested in maintaining Iron Q? Are you doing anything with it? Because I'm looking at the numbers and it gets two downloads a day on average. It's not, you know, it's not really getting any traction anymore. Um, it hasn't been supported since I believe 5.2, uh, and I've been maintaining it for a little over a year, I think. And, uh, I said, you know, we're not using it anymore. We switched over to Horizon eventually, uh, and I can still maintain it, but it's just, it's not on my radar, really. Uh, and this was right after, uh, 5.8 was announced, so I realized I was gonna have to do some kind of maintenance on it for 5.8, but he just said, you know, the whole, it looks like the whole Laravel Collective thing is just not getting traction anymore. Uh, our download rates and our interest rates are approaching zero. So, uh, we're gonna just, I think we're just gonna pivot the whole thing. So, so now if you go to the Laravel Collective website, uh, you will get a, Nice blog post from Matt Lance explaining the situation um, and explaining that if you want to maintain one of these projects, then go ahead and give him a call. He'll let you continue maintaining it. But the Laravel Collective is going to be switching over to new conceptual stuff from now. Yeah. Yeah, he, he talked to me about it. Uh, you know, I actually talked to, to Matt on a fairly regular basis and uh yeah what what he said was making a lot of sense and i don't know i don't know i mean how do you feel about that from a laravel community perspective it's like uh now these packages when they get abandoned you know who's going to maintain them that was one of the issues was that you know we've been supporting a package so that iron io could sell a service to laravel users Mm -hmm. If they want to sell their service to Laravel users, then step up, mm -hmm. maintain the package. You know, it's that easy. And the fact that, that I've never been contacted by them at all is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. If, if I'm maintaining, if I'm maintaining the API package for the currently most popular PHP framework for your PHP-based queuing system, you should give me a fucking call. But yeah, we we decided if they want to maintain it, knock. They can knock themselves out. They can build support back in. They can do whatever it is they want to. Um, for stuff like the forms package, mm -hmm. 
it was really a tack-on for the blade templates, and it doesn't need maintenance. Annotations was another one that he was focusing on. I mean, their most their most downloaded stuff was the HTML, the remote. The forms, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the forms one was getting 16,000 daily downloads, whereas the next most popular one was remote, which got 900 downloads. So yeah. really, the HTML one was the only one that matters. And it still exists. It's still on GitHub. It'll work with almost every version of Laravel you know, that could be perceived coming out in the future because it's a Blade template extension. Mm-hmm. So unless Blade fundamentally changes, it'll still work. It's funny because I've been hanging out a lot more. I, I've been trying to stop going to Reddit. And whenever I have the urge to go to Reddit, I go to Stack Overflow and just look at new posts, new questions. Uh, and I, I focused on uh, the Laravel uh, tag. I'm still surprised to see how many people post about that HTML in that forums package. And how many people still think it's just part of Laravel. It's like, that's not, that's not right. a part of Laravel anymore. <laughs> it hasn't been part of Laravel since like four. Yep. Yeah, it was a great functionality that got removed for some unknown reason. Yeah. And still seems to be a need for it, for it which is weird. Kind of like helper functions. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. This is stop, savage right going back from there. John Congdon. Coming, coming at you with, in his jammies and all, just coming swinging. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, I don't think we talked about last week uh, the whole .net, or .net, <laughs> .dev domain became a thing. Where yeah. uh, people could, uh, and, and they did a very interesting implementation of the domain where the more money you're willing to spend, the sooner you could actually get a domain. <laughs> well, not, not just that, but they also, if you had the trademark and could provide trademark documentation, then you could register it early. Oh, I didn't know. I don't, we, we are not trademarked. We should have done that. We should probably still do that. So. so obviously with, with a company like Diego Dev, a dot dev domain is very appealing. And uh I I started I started following the the price drop like early. You know, of course the first day it was like, Oh yeah, you, you can get Diego dot dev for twenty five hundred dollars. I'm like, Oh and then like the next day it's you know, fifteen hundred. That's, that's, that's nothing. <laughs> so, my parent company goes by well, LTI because the pricing was not based off of the name it was based off of the number of characters oh really I didn't yeah, realize so that LTI.dev was in the range of like $12,000 oh goodness so we did end up getting Diego.dev I mean I'm I'm proud to say it, it is a actual domain of course, uh, this this now becomes a problem for a lot of our developers because a lot of our developers use Valet. And Valet, uh, way back in the day, Valet, the default domain for Valet was .dev. And then when Google started enforcing the whole HTTPS for .dev domains, uh, a lot of Valet switched over to, switched the default domain to .test. The problem with that and the problem we have specifically for the projects we're working on is we use a lot of social media login. And um, with Google, ironically enough, 
Google doesn't allow you to define non-top-level domains as callbacks for their social media login. So in order to log in using a Google account, you have to have a top-level domain. So we had, we had been using .dev for that. And now, of course, if you have .dev configured in Valet, because Valet has this uh, DNS masquerade that it does, but if you have .dev configured in Valet, None, none of the .dev domains work on your system. You have to you have to reconfigure it to get things working. It's such a pain in the ass. Now, the big revelation for me for this whole thing was when I went to go check out the fancy new .dev domain, I found out that I'm still listed on the team. Well, what team? You're part of us. Our team? Oh, Diego Dev? Yeah. Of course you yeah, are. So if, you, if you click on Meet the Team... You'll see all of the people who actually work at Diego Dev, and then you'll see me listed as podcaster. Podcaster, Tom Wrightup, podcaster. Now, besides the fact that I was, I was literally laughing out loud about this. I was wondering when was I added as podcaster? <laughs> I, th- I believe John provided that for you. It's all in I, GitHub. Yeah, it was in GitHub, but it looks like it was 2015. It's been a while, yeah. <laughs> I just and I just haven't known about it, <laughs> no. or, or haven't cared. I mean, you know, one of the two. I, I don't know. I I care exceptionally now. I'm very interested in this. <laughs> I, Google yourself; you'll find it on there. <laughs> yeah, with with some SEO work, I think I can make make legs out of this because it's been there for a long time. <laughs> I mean, I can start calling myself a podcaster, and if somebody looks up Tom Rideout podcaster, they'll get a hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The funnier one is we had a, our mobile developer. Uh, I had listed him as um, mobile development, and he's like, "Can you not list me as mobile developer or mobile development?" I'm like, okay, what do you want to be listed as? He goes, developer, just a normal developer, nothing special. So that's what he got listed as. <laughs> He's on the website as a developer, just a normal developer, nothing special. I'm sure he's very excited about that. And then, of course, the office assistant uh, likes her title as well. I, I put her down as ambassador and herder of cats, and she she just gets a complete kick out of that. That this is an actual professional business website, and that's what her title is on it. I don't know about professional. Yeah, you know, professional ish. <laughs> um, I've I've got some tech stuff I just want to go over. I know we don't do the news rundown anymore but i wanted to go over a couple things that i thought were interesting have you have you ever have you ever noticed that php.net has a whole site mirrors section mm-hmm. yeah yep. that's going away the whole concept of mirroring a website which if you're from the 90s you remember like every website had mirrors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was what you had to do so that you could serve data across the world you know i remember dialing into servers that had dial-out connection quality. If you wanted to serve 10 people, you you had to have two servers and somebody was donating their phone line for you. Um, but they've decided, you know, this is the modern internet. There's 
cloud hosting and there's all sorts of load balancing and everything you could possibly need, I don't think we need the mirror program anymore. So the, the mirror program is retiring and it feels like a step forward for modernizing PHP that it's not mirroring its documentation website anymore. It's, it's not, it's not dependent on a bunch of people running a mirror under their, their desk. Right. It feels like hitting puberty or something where you just sort of go, Oh, how wonderful. Like an armpit hair. That's, that's so cute. That's great. So that's, that's happening. Um, but the big thing for me that I'm having trouble finding information about is this new protocol that's been accepted to the uh, official W3C okay. called WebAuthN. Do you guys know yeah. anything about this at all? No, I do not. WebAuthN essentially allows for uh, devices like USB security keys or uh, fingerprint readers, stuff like that, to authenticate to the browser. It's an old concept, but it's been officially adopted this week as part of what the internet is, what the W3C accepts. So I started looking into it because it's really nice. If you pull it up and type in a username and hit register, then it pops up a, a built-in dialogue that says, hey, uh, insert your security authentication device. And it's it's very fancy. It looks fantastic. Uh, but... I can't figure out for the life of me how to use it. <laughs> and it I, w I was thinking, like, this would be some kind of new input type, where you uh -huh. would call it a, a WebAuthn input, and it would pass in some kind of data to your server through SSL, or through, through HTTPS. But apparently that's not what it's doing. It's doing a huge amount of encryption data. It's sending public and private keys all over the place. It's doing this gigantic workload uh, to the point where I looked up a PHP web auth n implementation mm -hmm. and the guy the guy who wrote the one I was looking at said, oh yeah, I tried to convert I, I converted this one from a JavaScript based demo and I understood while writing this conversion, why no one's using it, it is an utter nightmare, and no one will ever understand how to use it correctly, so <laughs> here's my demo program, and good luck. <laughs> Which is, it's super disappointing for something that if you if you pull it up on your browser, the demo, just webauthn.org, mm -hmm. it looks like it's nicely, smoothly integrated. You... You just type in a username right there where you're at, Eric, right where exactly on that page, and hit register, mm -hmm. and you'll, you'll see the dialogue that comes up is a built-in dialogue as part of the browser. It's got that same security as a bunch of other stuff. It, it's very cool. Mm -hmm. uh, and all the tech blogs this week were saying, the age of passwords is over. Now you have a key. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm like, hey, that's not good. That's not the age of passwords is over. So did I log in? I, I don't know. If, I, I still don't know if I logged in or not. Did I log in? No, you have to. So you don't have oh. one of these devices. They're supposed to become ubiquitous eventually, but they're currently not. Well, I'm failed now. It, 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 it does not work with Trezor, with Trezor devices. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, so... 
It's a cool technology. It's part of the WC3 standard now, but it's poorly implemented everywhere, and nobody has the physical devices that they need to actually use it. Okay. Well, that's helpful. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Thank you. I'm supposed to say. I was wondering if you guys. I, I was. I really did spend three hours trying to figure this thing out, and couldn't get anywhere with it. Wow, that's that's saying a lot for for somebody as tech savvy as uh, you are. So it, it was a it was a slow three hours at work. <laughs> I was doing reporting. All right, so we talked about it last week. Let's talk about it again. Uh, this week, Facebook, right? How do you feel about Facebook? Uh, Facebook's new commitment now to being more private, more secure. I will repeat what I heard, which is that if you Sorry, watch the stock, didn't hear you, John. Do you say something, John? <laughs> that is bullshit. <laughs> Go ahead, I'll say, Thomas. I'll say what I heard earlier, and I'll repeat it: is if you watch the stock market before he announced this focus on privacy and afterwards. There is no difference in the value, which means it means nothing. Because if it meant, and if it actually meant anything at all, then the the stock price would have been affected in some way. When when Mark Zuckerberg says he's having ice cream, the the <laughs> stock value of ice cream changes. But he ca- he came out and said that Facebook is going to pivot to a more privacy-focused personal interaction platform and nobody batted an eye. It basically means that nobody believes him, even the people who are personally invested in it. That's exactly right. That's exactly how I felt about it. I'm like, yeah, everybody just rolled their eyes and just went like, okay, Mark, yeah, you know, you, you, you're tired of governments coming after you, so you want to you wanna try to look like you're being a good guy now. It's all lip service, I believe. Well, yeah. and a couple of years ago, he announced that he was going to catch his own food for a year. That he was going to be a what? hunter for a year, and he was going to garden and catch his own food. He does these annual statements of intent about his own personal life, and it feels like this is just another one of those things where he's like, yeah, I'm totally going to try and respect people's privacy now. <laughs> but he also doesn't have a concept of what people's privacy is, because that's the numbers on his bank account. Mm-hmm. It's like, if I if I made money off of people's privacy, why would I come out and say, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. That would be a bizarre statement to make. And <laughs> I mean he would get he would if he actually tried to implement the thing he's talking about, he would get voted off as CEO. The stockholders would not allow him to continue. Hmm. Well, I mean, he he made it a public uh, statement now, so it'll be interesting to see where he goes with that. Go straight to hell for all I care. <laughs> God, <laughs> such a such a nice guy. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of I'm sick of Facebook. I'm sick of the ads. I'm sick of the whole platform. Mm-hmm. It could be duplicated. You know that when there were games on Facebook, and that was a huge selling point. That was one thing. But now it's the most bare-bones social network. Functionality has been stripped down to share a picture, share a video, share a thought. Mm-hmm. And that's all, it, that's all it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Someone can duplicate that and issue an antitrust lawsuit that allows for 
cross-login authentication and cross-posting mm-hmm. and beat the shit out of Facebook. The issue is that you have to beat them legally first. You have to beat them and say, listen, you're a monopoly on the very idea of social interaction. You have to open the borders. So it's funny you should say this because it's uh, – I talked about the book I was uh, listening to on Audible last week of Rework. And I, I actually actually moved on to the second book – or a second book. There's like, I, guess, I guess there's like three in the series there. Uh, the one I just finished actually today was it doesn't have to, uh, it doesn't have to be crazy at work, which again is it was kind of like a re you know them kind of restating some of the things out of rework, but in rework um, he says almost the exact same thing. He goes Facebook will if you ever go into business thinking you're going to be the next Facebook, you've already lost because nobody's better at being Facebook than Facebook. And you'll never be able to dethrone Facebook if your intention is to dethrone Facebook. You know, that's one of the things that that they talked about in that rework. And I actually, you know, agreed with a lot of what they were saying. Um, but yeah, John, you you'd mentioned uh, last week that that I didn't share with you that that I I was listening to that rework. So so yeah. If you if you picked it up, you might want to pick up this one too. It doesn't have to be crazy at work. It's it's again, it's kind of a rehash. Um, I've also been told that I should listen to uh, the the other book, Remote. That 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 was the other one that was recommended, which I think I, I have uh, queued up here as well. That Remote was um, was this Remote? Yeah, Remote Remote was actually a, a better better book to go into. So I, I just downloaded this one today. I'll probably be giving a giving this one a listen as well. But but yeah, they're, I definitely they're want good. to hear your thoughts on that one. Have you have you read Remote? No, but it it looks like it's targeted directly at me. Yeah, yeah, it, and it's it's called Remote Office Not Required, which of course you know we just established in an office, so. I don't know if I want to read that one. <laughs> <clears throat> Chapter one: If you own an office, you're stupid. Exactly. That's pretty much how they talk. It's like if you have a company and you have an office, you're an idiot. <laughs> oh wow, it is. Chapter one is why work doesn't happen at work. Chapter two is stop stop commuting your life away. <laughs> so uh, that's a I little have... brutal. I, I haven't listened to the book, obviously, but they did touch on this on on in the rework book a little bit as well, which is is no secret, and, and remote workers know about this all the time. Is that when you, especially when you work for a big organization, and that organization has everybody comes come into the office, the amount of the amount of work you get out of an eight hour day is pretty minimal because. Yeah, this is the time that these pe- people develop friendships and they're they're uh, socializing with one another, and everybody's deciding. Okay, this is the time we're all going to have a meeting because everybody's here. So let's all go and have a meeting. And for a developer, this is not a good thing. Um, so where where we say we have an office, and, and we do, it's it, it is an office. None of our developers are required to be here, and it's kind of more of a place of they decide to come here because, for whatever whatever the scenario is in their personal life, this is where they can go to get some more you know get some work done. 
But nobody's required to be here. Hell, John only spends half a day here. I'm I'm the only one that spends all day here, and that's because I I actually enjoy being here. I mean, I almost consider this more my space than anything else. Yeah, I'm, I would I would like to be there. It's just I spend half a day there because I I do decide to go play the ultimate frisbee. It's a twenty minute drive east for me, and then where I the three places I play ultimate frisbee are back past my house, so it'd be. I would end up spending over an hour and a half on the road going to the office, to to Frisbee, back to the office and back home where I come in for the morning and go do my ultimate Frisbee running around thing and then finish my day off at home, you know, where I come back here, take a nice shower and then get back to work. I have this book say, you have to that read. Time. Lay it on me. It's called Remote. Office not required. <laughs> uh, are you guys ready for my new segment? Uh-oh. Wait, what? Have we cleared this with the uh, sponsors? What what new segment are we talking about? It's called it's called Rainbows and Butterflies. Oh, god damn it. This is going to end poorly. I just know it. You know, with the huge success of... My weekly doom and gloom blog post, (laughs) semi-weekly, and I have to say it is successful. It got us a new Patreon. It did. It's paid for itself, hasn't it? All very much so. I've decided that we should close out our episodes with some sunshine and butterflies. Sunshine and butterflies. I I like the name of the segment. Thank you. Uh, Firefox has introduced... A new form of privacy protection that they're taking from the Tor browser, which I find very interesting. Uh, basically, if you aren't allowing cookies or if you're being strict about your privacy on the internet, one of the things companies can do is something called fingerprinting, where they look at your uh, installed fonts. Uh, browser capability, browser version, uh, all this information. And this actually works across VPNs, uh, surprisingly enough. So if you're jumping IP addresses, they can still track which person is doing that. Hmm. Um, This technique falsely reports the size of the browser to the server it's communicating with. Um, it's called letterboxing, and it rounds the browser size, the current browser size, down to the closest 100 pixels and reports that. Uh, and then once the page has correctly loaded, then it expands to the correct size. Uh, this technique is used because it actually defeats JavaScript-based detection systems, where the browser itself is reporting to its container window the wrong dimensions for its browser size. So it's it's a fascinating technique. I, I use uh, Tor, and I, I've seen that alert pop up, but I, I never understood what, what the benefit to the web, the, what, what the benefit of that was. I mean, because it's just reporting a difference in size, right? Yes, but that size is very important 
to identifying users. Because that size combined with all of the other information that your browser generally leaks about you makes you one of 10 possible people instead of one of 100,000 possible people. If you're running Windows, the maxed, the maxed out browser window is going to be affected by whether or not your toolbar is hidden, whether or not you have uh, certain extensions installed on your browser that are taking up space, that physically taking up space. Um, if you're having, if you have a, a bookmark toolbar uh, font size, so the the font size of your system font can affect the final browser window size by one or two pixels. So when you combine all of that data that can be gleaned from a request, then you can really narrow down on people without their IP address, without cookies. And this technique is designed to, instead of make you one out of ten people or, or one out of five people, to lump you in to be one out of a hundred thousand people. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of big corporations use this to track people who have very purposefully declared they don't want to be tracked. And now it's going to be a built-in functionality of Firefox, which I'm excited about. So it's a, it's a win for privacy. I don't know how to handle that from you. I don't have a GIF for you being positive. These don't, On these the don't other work. hand, it was discovered. There you go. That, that, that was good timing. <laughs> that Microsoft Edge has a whitelist of sites that can run Flash without user interaction. So if you go to an old school Flash page, it will pop up a window that says, hey, this wants to run Flash, are you okay with that? Well, it turns out that Microsoft Edge secretly allows uh, Facebook to run Flash. If you're on the Facebook domain, then uh, Facebook is allowed to execute any widget that has a dimension over 398 by 298 pixels. I thought we I thought we agreed we weren't reporting on ZDNet's uh, crazy articles anymore. No, we just agreed that they're crazy. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, but oddly enough, that this this is just ZDNet's coverage of an issue reported to Microsoft's Edge, or I'm sorry, the issue reported to the Chromium blog. Uh, a a Google developer discovered this whitelist permissions. Uh, and posted it as a bug on the Chromium developer blog. <laughs> a bug? That's nice. <laughs> um, but it, it has stuff like Facebook, but it also has stuff like Pogo.com, uh -huh. uh, Starfall.com, MSN, Microsoft, Voodoo, uh, PopTropica, this is a list of uh, 58 records, 58 websites that Microsoft has decided can run Flash even though it is a known bad actor. Awfully nice of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's my, that's my sunshine and butterflies for the week. <laughs> oh, good job. Good job. All right. With that, we'd like to thank our Patreons, our patrons on Patreon. Patreons on Patreon. We're we're missing one now. We're missing I one. I forgot to add. I forgot to add our new one. Sorry about that, Marcus. 
All you can just, you can just add it right now. I can, I can I can add it right now. I did that before, didn't I? How did I do that before? Um, I happen to know how to spell his name. Marcus M. There you go. There, he's officially added. Oh, look at that. Now he messes everything up. Can I fit him in there? Oh, look at that. Perfect. All right, that's it. We can't get any more. No, nobody else can can support us on Patreon, or I'm going to have to... I'm gonna have to lower font sizes. We, we uh, could also, do what uh, my what one of my favorite podcasts does. What's that? They they get to the middle of the show and they announce just their top five patrons, giving people a chance to get there. Well, they but their show is live, so never mind. That doesn't work. Our show is live. We love, our we love all our we love all of our patrons equally. Our our show is live too. I don't I don't understand that point though. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean. The majority of their viewers, I think, are live. Oh, you mean you mean they actually have viewers? I I see the difference. I, I see I see where you're going. With yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, no they, problem. Because they they get the they get people donating money via YouTube. I guess there's a way within the the chat to do super chat or something and yeah donations. Yeah, and lose like thirty percent of your revenue. <laughs> no, because they are a five hundred one three C nonprofit. They don't take that thirty percent. So are we? Google doesn't we? take it. No. Yeah. Right. What? All right. I, I I lowered the font size so we have room for more now. If if you want to, uh, if you want to, if you're listening to this and want to support us on Patreon, I, I have I have room for your name, and we did it live. Everybody's welcome. Do we have a lanyard update for our Patreons? We do. We do. We have lanyards. No, I mean, have they have they shipped? So. Here's the funny thing. He's been giving me a hard time because I've had a five-gallon water jug in my <laughs> car empty for weeks and haven't gotten it filled. <laughs> it gives me a hard time all the time because it just hasn't gotten handled. Now I don't feel so bad. Hey, I built shelves this uh, this week in the office, so, you know, there's that. Wow, I'm like the, put the lanyards on there. I'm the shelf master in, in, in there. Our, our new office space. If, if there's a shelf that needs to go up, apparently I, I put it up. So, all right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. This has been episode. This has been episode 144 of PHP Ugly. I'm Tom Rideout. I'm Eric Van Johnson. I'm John Congdon. It was actually 143. Keep, Keep it ugly. ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsors, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group. You can find the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. That's www.diegodev.com. Show notes and RSS feeds can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at phpugly or join us in our Discord channel. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or in your favorite podcast listener. A rating of five stars is always appreciated. Until next time, keep it ugly.